Welcome to Very Honored Frater BT's Esoteric Nerd Podcast, Episode 45, in which I interview Lori Romano, Sir Atenku Akunseket. But first, I wanted to take us up the path of Tav and briefly establish a temple in Yesod. Now, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, you may want to dial it back and check out episode 35, The Temple in Malkut, before moving forward. Also, if you're driving, I recommend keeping your eyes open and also on the road. For those of you who are not driving or who are at a very long stoplight, go ahead and close your eyes, relax your shoulders, Lift your foot up off the brake. No, 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 I'm just kidding. Um, we're going to go into the temple in Malkut. Now, there's a lot of ways that you can get there. There's a lot of fun ways that people have to get there. Sometimes people will call a spirit animal who will take them away to their sacred place, or they'll find some way of transporting there. I'm going to show you one way that I like to get to mine. It's sort of the opposite of the way that we went through in episode 35 in that it's very quick and very simple, where in episode 35 you had to walk a lot, burn yourself, be reborn in water and all of that before you could knock on the door to your temple in Malkuth. Once you've done that and once you've established within your psyche that to enter into your temple in Malkuth means to leave behind the temporal concerns momentarily it's it really helps to clear up as much energy as possible in the mind if you will or the brain body to focus on the establishing of your own inner temple so again if you don't know what i'm talking about just ignore this next part maybe come back to it another time but check out episode 35 about establishing the temple in malkut because it goes on a little more about it for now, close your eyes, and in your mind's eye, lift up your hands and put them on the surface of the altar at the center of your temple in Malkut. Feel the temperature, the texture. What is it made of? Is it wood or glass? Is it stone? Is it metal? Is it crystal? What is it? I'm asking you because I don't know. You don't have to say out loud. Just feel it. And what does it smell like there with incense is burning? Good. Are there candles on the altar? Okay. What does it look like? Okay. What shadows? It? There we go. Now you see it. There you go. What is the eastern wall? Okay. Now to the left, the northern wall. What is that? Okay. Now it's really starting to come into view. Oh, I know. Yours is no walls, but I was talking to the other, the, the rest of the people that have walls. Now turn around. What's in the west? Good. Some of you have a waterfall back there. That's good. All right. It's coming into focus. Crisper now. Now, maybe one or two of you might have noticed that it's not exactly the way you would like it. So go ahead and take a moment. How would you like it? What would you rather be wearing? Okay, good. How about the floor? Yeah, you can just change it. That's fine. Generally earth tones, but if you want to have that crazy color, go for it. Yeah, it's okay. You'd be liberated. 
If this is your Temple of Malkuth, it is. Some of you might have just a clearing with some rocks. Some of you might be on a mountaintop. Some of you in an old castle or church. Some of you in a cave. Some of you inside of a great hollowed-out tree. All of these are correct, as long as it's yours. Okay, let's move on, shall we? Coming up to the central altar now, getting nice and tall, closing the eyes and visualizing your temple in Malkuth moving to your feet and reaching up above your head, drawing down the light from the crown. Oto Malkuth Vigavoral Vigadulal and walking to the east, actually taking the steps, one step at a time. Now you're in the east. Good. Drawing the earth, vanishing pentagram, the light blue light flames, reaching up, drawing down, projecting forward, the archangels vibrating with you. One step at a time. What do your feet look like? All the way to the south. Drawing another blue pentagram. Reaching up. Drawing down. Projecting forward. Stepping with the left foot. Sign of silence. Stab the center. Draw the white line to the west. What does the west look like? How many steps? There you go. Drawing the pentagram. <laughs> Sign of silence. Stab the center. Draw the line to the north. One step at a time. Drawing the pentagram. Reaching up. Drawing down, projecting forward. Sign of silence. Finishing the circle. Optional sign of silence. Some of you are in that habit. Coming back around to the central altar facing east. Before me stands. so the archangels are facing outward. Behind me stands And on the astral you can see behind you, so you see the blue and orange. On my right On my left, for before me flames the pentagram, and behind me shines the six-rayed star. Autumn, 
approaching the east. There in the center of the east, if you had a table there, maybe just move it away from the wall a little bit or have it disappear, whatever works better for you. There is a door, or maybe for you it's a, an opened curtain, a veil, or for you it's just a doorway hovering there since it's just a clearing with some rocks. There's no wall. For you over there, it's going to be a, a stone archway right there in the middle. Okay. And above it is the letter Tav. And to the left is another opening of some kind, whichever archway or veil parting. And there's above it a shin. And on the right, another one. And there's a kof. Okay. We're not going to worry about those two right now. Maybe, maybe later. Not in this episode. Okay. So we're parting the veil or opening the door under the tav in the center of the eastern wall in the temple in Malkut. And behold the Bukti universe card. There is Isis, Sandalphon, the great goddess, Eve, if you will, receiving from all of the tree of life, dancing into space-time, all forces in perfect harmony. She twirls the batons of yin and yang, of Yaquin and Boaz, the black and white, she receives the influence from the crescent crown above her head. Her legs form a cross. About her is a blue scarf which conceals her uh, gender. Okay, so we've got 12 different colored spheres around her, representing the 12 signs of the zodiac. We've got the man in the upper left representing air. We've got the eagle in the upper right representing water. We've got the ox on the lower left representing earth. And we've got the lion in the lower right representing fire. We've got 72 little white lights around that same oval that the 12 different colored spheres are arranged in. Very good. You're still standing in your temple in Malkut, though, and you're looking at this, and it's on the other side of the doorway. Now, we're going to walk up to it. We're going to draw the letter Tav in white in the air right there in that doorway itself, and we're going to project with the sign of the enterer. Just Tav! And let's go with the divine names of Yasod, since that's the higher of the two spheres attached to the path of Tav. Shadail Chai Govriel Kerubim And the divine names associated with Saturn, which is the heaven of Isaiah for the path of Tav. Yodivav Elohim Zavkiel Aralim, and stepping forward with the sign of the enter, projecting through the doorway into the path of Tav, turning around and closing the veil or door behind you. Once again, you're in your temple in Malkut, facing east, looking at the image of the universe card. Perform the sign of the enter, stepping through, turning around and closing the door behind you. Once again, you're in your temple in Malkut, facing east. Looking at the universe card, you're going to 
step through with the sign of the enterer, project into the universe card, turn around and close the door or veil behind you. Now, turn around and behold the universe, stars, galaxies in all directions. You look down at your feet, a sense of vertigo until you realize you are stable. You stand upon a three-foot-wide path of indigo-painted bricks, like a yellow brick road, only indigo and hovering in space. Beneath the bricks, past your feet, is more stars. Stars below, stars above, stars to the right, stars to the left, stars behind you, stars in front of you. The path has a vanishing point directly in front of you. You begin to walk on the path, walking what feels like eastward, even though that concept doesn't really apply here in space. One step at a time, looking down at your feet, perhaps the, uh, the red socks, the black robe. One step at a time, shoulders relaxed, and looking toward the vanishing point on the indigo brick path, you see a man in yellow walking towards you. He seems nice. No, no cause for alarm. As you approach, you realize he has your same face. This man is archetypal air. He is the carob of air. He is also the sun in his rising. Springtime. You receive a blessing. You take a deep breath. For a moment, you experience what it is like to be him. In the place of absolute mind beyond mind. Incorruptible. You thank him and nod. Perform any appropriate great sign. And he passes you and you continue to walk along the indigo brick path, stars all around you. In front of you in the distance, something red, walking towards you, a lion, a ferocious red lion, but you are not afraid. He stops in front of you and you in front of him and you nod and you feel that redness of your own blood, the fire, that will that darts and flashes through the hidden depths of the universe, your own true inner fiery nature. You place your hand on the nape of the lion's neck and place your forehead against his and he growls and you feel it in your heart. You receive the blessing of fire, and you thank him, and you bow, and continue to walk as he passes you by. Walking on the indigo bricks, starry night sky all around, in front of you in the distance you see a large teal blue eagle 
turbines. He flies towards you and lands in front of you quickly. He lowers his neck and you know exactly what to do. You climb upon his back and you hold on. And he lifts you up off the path, up into the heights, down into the depths, to every different possible world. You and the eagle look to a pink star, and immediately you arrive, and you see the crystalline palaces and the outer planets, and you see the ghost-like fiery beings in the rainbow aura, and then to another, and to another star, to Sirius, the three stars, one collapsed into a diamond, one white and one blue, and the beings that dwell there in the subtle realms. And finally, when you are uplifted and smiling at all of the infinite, joyous journeys and sorrowful ones which you are sure to experience and to remember having experienced the eagle returns you to the path and with this great blessing of water this contentment to be in present time however it may seem remains with you and you thank the eagle and you understand now the sharpness in the eye and the smile, and the eagle flies away. You continue to walk on the indigo brick path with the starry night sky all around. And in front of you, you see a black bull. The bull sits down on the path, and you stop. You wonder how you're going to get around this thing. And then you remember the red socks. And you remember the red handle on the sword of the Hyrus. And you remember how to make the world turn. And you reach into a pocket you just realized you had. And you pull out a big red cloth you just realized you had. And you start to hold it up in the air going, Toro, Toro! And the bull stands up, and he runs right past you, and you get out of his way just in time. And you continue walking. And you reach the end of the path, and you see a black pillar on the left and a white pillar on the right, and facing you in between, a lady of light, a lady of light blue light, dancing, dancing the cosmos into and out of existence. And you step into that place where she stands, and you turn around and cross your arms over your chest, and suddenly you have more than two arms and more than two legs, and you too are dancing with the Shekinah. You are dancing as Senju Kanon, the thousand-armed one, the Shekinah. Every time a hand comes to help, that is your hand as well. And you sink back beyond and turn around, closing the door behind you, and behold, you are in a new space. A new space. What does it look like? Oh, it's white light. It's white light. 
It looks like it's got a regular amount of walls. It's got a floor and a ceiling, and it's all white walls. Oh, now it's starting to come into focus. Oh, Yesod, right? Yesod has different shades of purple, and in the king scale, the highest scale, deep indigo blue. Okay, nine is a sacred number here. Luna is a sacred planet. Now it's coming into focus. It's yours, yours and yours alone. Make it as you will. Once upon a time, mine was on a planet of silver sand, and it was made of a blue crystal pyramid, and there was a light that shot out of the roof. Once upon a time, mine was purple and arabesque, complete with the crescent on top. It's yours. Make it your own. Let it come into form. Maybe it's like the temple in Malkut, but different, an octave higher. What is this place, this Yesod? Well, if you're familiar with, you don't have to subscribe to, but if you're familiar with Judeo-Christian symbolism, the temple in Malkut was like the tabernacle. This temple is like the Holy of Holies. And when you're ready, declare in the name of Shaddai Chai, this is your temple in Yesod. And I'll help you get back into Malkut at the end after this interview. So without further ado, let's get to that interview, shall we? Hello. Greetings. Welcome to the Esoteric Nerd Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So uh, let's introduce you to uh, people who haven't met you yet. Uh, Lori, right? Yeah. And, yes. Uh, and do you have, uh, do you want to reveal any other name you are known by or maybe initials? Uh, that depends on which field I'm in. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, give us realm? some examples. What are, what are some of these fields? Okay. Um, well, usually I go by Soror AKS. Okay. Um, or my longer Coptic um, that a few of my temple chiefs don't like that well. Atenku Akuen Seket. I have been teased about that more times. <laughs> so... Let's just uh, go by the KISS principle, if you will, and we'll Keep just say, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll just say, um, Lori Romano uh, or Soror, AKS. Oh, right. Would be okay with that, I think. Do you happen to know anything about the uh, name origin of either Lori or Romano? Um. Well, <laughs> I'm always interested in that. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Um, Lori is from Loreen. Loreen is my birth name. Mm -hmm. That is from my maternal grandmother. Mm -hmm. um, actually, my middle name is Cecile, and that is 
uh, directly related to hers, which is Lucille. Okay. Um, so Lauren Cecile, um, and I'm not sure what uh, etymology that would necessarily mean, but I do know that that is solidly French. Um, Romano is my ex-husband, ah. and uh, yes, I know. I've is there is there a maiden name that is more poignant to oh. your identity? Um, yes, as long as you promise not to sell my information to identity. <laughs> well, if somebody is going to take the time to listen to this podcast and then type it in, then I guess <laughs> they can do that. But I'm, I won't do it. I know. I know. I'm just, um, <laughs> I'm being silly. Um, my birth name is Haynes. Mm-hmm. So we have Lauren Cecile Haynes. Okay. Ah, your record's coming up. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Here, let me look you know up. What? Sorry, Lauren... you got up, Edward, so you can't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, your name, Lauren, is of Laurentum, which is from the place of the Laurentives. Ah, okay. And then what was the middle name? Cecile. S-E or C-E-C? I-L-E, correct. All right, Cecile, the meaning behind the name is derived from, in in old Latin, Caecilius, or probably in a more medieval, more familiar sounding to us, Caecilius, uh, a Roman family name. It looks like it's reminiscent of heaven. Let me see if I'm right. Uh, you know, who art in Chaley, Edentera, you know, that whole thing. Um I will find out. And I will edit this so that they don't hear all this nonsense. Um, wow. Okay. French feminine form of Cecil, which is derived from Calicius, an old Roman family name, which has its root in the Latin cacus, or blind or dim-sighted. Wow. The, okay. That's interesting. So what was the first name that the, from the laurel leaves, blind or dim-sighted? And then now I want to I want to know what Haynes means. Are you still with um, us? <laughs> yeah, I'll find out. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm I'm sitting here I'm sitting here thinking um, Haynes. Um, it's H A I N E S. That okay. is also a good question. I was looking into that. Um, actually, with oh, Mark there's Kirsten. two possible origins. It says here. Okay. On, on .com. okay. Uh, the interesting thing. Okay. So there's the medieval male given name, Hain, coming from the old German Hagano, uh, meaning Hawthorne. What is, is Hawthorne a thing? I, I will, okay. And then the other is uh, from the old Norse Hogni or Hogne, which uh, is, it doesn't say. All right. Hawthorne. What's a Hawthorne? I, I'm probably just very ignorant. It's probably a kind of tree or something, isn't it? Or a bird? Hawthorne? Uh, yes, actually. Uh, um, it's used in... The school in... district. Uh... <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, there's that too. Um, but it is, I believe, a... a certain kind bush. of... Oh. Yes, it's, it's a bush and it has its magical uses. Wow. Yes, hawthorn berries. Um, I could look up in my root 
dictionary, but um, that has many uses. So and, laurel and hawthorn berries, and then yes. the dim-sided one, I'm interested in that. That's what's that about? That's interesting. Well, anyway, I mean, not to read anything into it. I just I'm interested in all this stuff. Mine is a uh, rich guardian free man to rub, but uh, more specifically, like <laughs> to rub clear, like to rub a lens and make it, you know, okay. clear. Okay. All so, right. so I'm a rich guardian, a free man, and I rub to make the lens clear to bring things into focus. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Well, here's another one for you since we're talking about um, meaning of names. Mm -hmm. um, my AKS is power from a place of resplendent light, mm. which I think is interesting considering what we've already talked about. Right. Well, there's only yeah. one place of resplendent light that I can think of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll I'll exactly. I'll add some crickets in the in post. <laughs> oh, all right. Okay. No, I'm I just was kidding. Say, um, yeah, depending on uh I, I don't know what you're gonna do with this. I'm I'm just kind of um leaving it to your uh Oh yeah, no, it's all just fun. Your 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 good uh your good sense of humor, which you know, <laughs> That could be frightening at times. <laughs> well, you know, uh, you, you you know someone whose uh, whose sense of humor is a lot like mine. <laughs> uh, I don't know you that well. <laughs> You've seen I us interact, of, though. Yeah, yeah. I I uh, I have found that uh, many folks that are either in or around um, this magical current that we know and love have their own brand of twist. Yeah. Yeah. Some of us are sicker than others. Yes. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, some people, they want to get weird, so they become, you know, thalamites. But some people really want to get weird, so they want to, you know, go, f go to the source and then find their own twisted form of Golden Dawn. Okay. Which I find kind of interesting um because why make yourself into something why not just interact with the energy and just be that's just me yeah well that's a good question i mean if you're asking me at a certain point i did make myself into something so why did i do that that's a good question um uh I, I actually, if you're referring to what I think you're referring to, mm -hmm. I did the same thing and then um, realized that I no longer recognized the magic that I loved and that wonderful place within was becoming less and less accessible to me. It seems universal, like if uh, if you go on your first date when you're 14, and you go to this particular, you know, place and you have milkshakes and then later you're 35 and you're dragging the 20th person to that same fucking place to get milkshakes. It's there's a difference. <laughs> it's a big difference. <laughs> yeah, there is. There's um, something there's a life spark that that is either there or it's not. Yeah. Um, but I think when we are um, when we are young in our development um 
you know, we, we, we know there's something there. We want to get started. Um, and I think we either, uh, consciously choose to not see, or we just plain don't know. Yeah. And, um, you know, then we find ourselves making excuses and, you know, you either make excuses or you lie to yourself or, um, something. Um, and then you begin to lose track of what actually brought you into magical training in the first place. Um, and that's kind of frightening. Yeah. You know, and, and there are, um, there are shysters out there. Luckily I have found more good people than shysters. Um, but you know, in dealing with, I, I mean, it seems like I've met more people that, uh, have had experience with shysters, you know, than good people. But, yeah. um, since I left my first order, um, which I did in the early part of 2014, um, shortly before meeting Mark, uh, since I left there, I've met luckily more nice people. Yeah. That's good. And I've been able to, I, I've been fortunate because I've been able to um, get back to finding that, um, maybe not that sense of excitement, because I think some of that sense of excitement is, um, you know, kind of in a state of ignorance. It's kind and, of there to like hook you. It's like, like in that same example, that first milkshake, like all those emotions that come with falling in love is there to kind of lure you into this more longer term thing that isn't necessarily always going to feel jittery. Like, you know, isn't necessarily always going to yeah. be sunshine and roses. And it's a much more, you know, longer lasting rooted thing. And similarly, you know, it's nice when I can remember sometimes there'll be a smell or, you know, some co some combination of elements and I'll go, oh, that reminds me of, you know, just right after my first neophyte, you know, right after uh, I joined when I was still totally ignorant and it was all very magical, you know. And, um, you know, it's nice to have that, but to chase it is uh, is kind of going the wrong way, I think. Yeah. Um, I think for me, you know, on that, and I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and, um, I'm gonna try and do this without necessarily, um, uh, spilling the beans and mm -hmm. oath and all of that of stuff. Course. But, um, you just made me think of something. My neophyte in my first order, I never had a neophyte. Mm -hmm. Um, because he kind of did things very oddly. Uh, he didn't believe in having, uh, neophyte zero, zero initiations. Um, so what we did, uh, I, I didn't get my first neophyte initiation until I joined my second order. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was a, um, full temple zero, zero 
very wonderful experience. Um, interestingly, of course, you go in there and you're hoodwinked. Um, when I went in, I started hearing um, indistinct, whispering, kind of hushed voices that grew louder and louder. It wasn't English. It wasn't um, my temple mates. Um, and it, very interestingly, I didn't realize until much later, until I was uh, actually a theoricus, what that was. Um, when I was 18, I died. I had a near-death experience. Mm -hmm. I, you know, went through, um, actually went through the judgment hall because I heard the same voices. Mm. I heard the same whispers. And both Raphael and Anubis were there. And there was a, um, there was a door at the end of this long hallway. And I could hear the, the voices in the background. And I knew there were beings um, that I couldn't see, but I knew they were everywhere. Um, and my own body wasn't really a body anymore. I didn't have, obviously, the same sense of sentience with that um and i got to the store and i could see light prisms of light emanating behind it so i put my hand on the i mean what are you going to do <laughs> you're going to put your hand on the door and you're going to try to open it mm. um and i couldn't get it open and Raphael told me it's not your time yet you have a lot to do and then i came back and then after when i came back i came back with a thump into my physical body, which was in a hospital elevator. Um, and then I had the nausea and just really confused. I just had no idea what the hell, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, um, and was this, had you been working at all with Golden Dawn Current before that? Um, that happened when I was 18, and no, I hadn't been doing um, anything. So it's very interesting because usually Raphael and Anubis, you know, together, if someone said that you know, Raphael and Anubis together, I'd be like, oh, you're doing Golden Dawn work. Uh, usually, they usually don't end up in the same room together unless you're um, a relig religious studies major or a Golden Dawn practitioner. So it's just kind of interesting that, no, that I, you were already tapped into that current. I, yeah, and I, I don't... I don't know. That was when I was 18. Um, I've had um, magical abilities since I was a small child, but I never really did anything with them. Um, I didn't really start doing anything with my magical stuff until I was 45. Mm. I'm 52 now. Um, so I, I was a relative latecomer to the game well in the old traditions you know they they'd say live your life do your thing raise your kids figure it all out and then when you're in your 40s get into magic so i mean you know on, on one hand you did it right you did it traditionally <laughs> you know that's interesting i did it you... insane i did it i started <laughs> as a teenager like crowley and all these other people who lost their minds um well you haven't lost your mind um, oh, you don't. I've, you haven't heard my other podcasts. <laughs> uh, 
Actually, I've heard enough of them to know you haven't lost your mind. Um, I can get it back. Crowley, Crowley uh, I, I have a thing about Crowley. I know that he's contributed a lot, and I do like his um, 30 Theorems of Magic, but I have also read a lot of his stuff where um, he can't string together a coherent sentence and thought, and uh, I, I really object to that. <laughs> strenuously because yeah uh, i mean but looking it, it, at oh sorry i don't mean to cut you off. no you you go ahead oh, oh, it, did you want to finish the thought at least yeah okay okay um he can't string together a coherent thought or nor can he write it and i i guess to me the thought of a magician who's going to be dealing with universal forces and controlling huge forces with you know all that potential and you can't even string together a coherent thought or sentence hmm. sorry <laughs> <laughs> no honestly seriously um yeah i must have been looking at a different period um because some you know i mean there's his poetry of course i mean i know i i write some poetry that could be considered as incoherent thoughts but um but i i uh just on the subject of crowley i um I think he's, as a human being, looking at the world as a big brain that's been evolving, and it's the brain of the earth, looking at Crowley, like, I don't see him as, you know, using this metaphor, I don't see him as a cancer in the body or anything like that. I see him no. as, as a very interesting case study through which, like, a lens, I think any individual or even any anything is a lens through which you can see the whole like you could look at a rock and see the whole a w-h-o-l-e that you, yeah. could, you could look through a prism and 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 look at rays of light and see a manifestation of the whole and you can look at crowley and see wow you know here's a boy that was that was born you know and grew up in victorian england and went through the original og golden dawn and wow what a trip you know that he he went through all that and that he that heroin was the cure for asthma at the time. And so it was just taken for granted that he had to get back and do his heroin. And he liked boys and girls in a time when that wasn't even something that was talked about as a thing that happened sometimes. And, you know, no wonder he called himself the great beast 666. I think that was his mother's nickname for him when he was young. So, I mean, he's an, a really interesting individual. He lived, he died. And, uh, and he had his, he, and, and also in addition to that, he brought attention to the occult and specifically the golden dawn, because really there were 10 orders going on at the time of the golden dawn. And the only reason we know about the golden dawn is because of Crowley and then that, the, the, the resulting interest of Rigardi and where Crowley got everything and thus his publishing of everything and thus the reenactment orders that we're both a part of, you know, <laughs> So, I mean, it's a trip. It's a trip. And it's all very much connected with Crowley, whether we like it or not. You know, it's, you know, it's, uh, uh, those of us who are doing the non-Crowley Golden Dawn, you know, it's like, um, you know, Christianity popularized Judaism, whether Judaism likes it or not. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, they yeah. probably wouldn't have Israel as a state right now if it hadn't been for the popularity of Judaism as a result of anti-Semitism was a result of Christianity. You know, it's just it's all connected. It's all tantric web connected. And uh, we're all in each other's laps and dreams. And, and um, speaking of Anubis, what can you tell us about your relationship with Anubis? Oh, 
Wow. Okay. <laughs> so I've been talking too much. I, I, I just wanted to like jump tracks. <laughs> oh no, no, that's, um, that's absolutely fascinating though. I mean, I, uh, um, just a quick post. Oh, sure. Yeah, Crowley, yeah. I will get to Anubis. Um, I think Crowley, Crowley was an indispensable part of, um, Western occultism. Mm-hmm. And I think that he, he has some, I mean, I've got a few of his books. Um, like I, I have a uh, Lieber Aleph. And I liked, you know, some of his contributions, um, but other contributions I just, you know, found a bit incoherent. Um, I think that uh, from a historical sense, uh, he has added, I mean, you know, he's, he's really done a lot and he's an inseparable part of Western occultism. Um, yeah. Now, whether I like his writing, that's just a a, a personal opinion. Right. Yeah. Um, I should add that it doesn't mean that I don't see a place for him. Um, you know, there was a point where before uh, he allowed his ego and everything else to get in there and dilute it all, he did do some work. Yeah. Um, so anyone... Anyone that that does make a contribution like that, you know, it's like okay, that's that's fine. I think he would have a ball today with the internet. Mm. <laughs> think about it. Well, he'd it. run into a lot of competitors because you know he'd he'd post his, you know, uh, his his ritual selfies, and I'd post mine, and you know, then there'd be a, a <laughs> war of who who gets more like clicks or something. <laughs> You know, that would be uh, actually pretty hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've been I um I I feel I feel weird mentioning this because I don't actually know the guy's name, but I've been asked to conduct funerary rites uh for basically a group of thalamites in um the Hollywood Forever Cemetery in the Masonic Hall and to basically perform the Golden Dawn Requiem toning down the Christian elements for a room full of thalamites. I'm like, this is new. This is, and I'm honored to be the one being asked to do this. And I hope this becomes a thing. And, um, it's very interesting. I know. Right. Yeah. I was, you know what though? It, you probably will not have trouble doing that. No, No, I get along well with most thalamites. Yeah. Well, I mean, actually, most of the thelemites that I know, I get along very well with too. We just don't, um, when they post things that are Crowley oriented, I just kind of breeze right by it. Yeah. And, I don't respond uh, when they say 93 or I'll say, I'll respond with LVX or blessed be or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And most of the ones that I know, um, they are doing the work. Um, Mark and I have some good friends that were in the OTO Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, they were, they, they left, they left, but, uh, basically what, what we do is we just share what we know and what we can share, obviously that isn't covered by oath. Um, we, that's the way we look at it. That's the way I look at it. And most of the folks that. 
I know and I deal with. It's it's an exchange of information, and it's a very positive thing. Yeah. It's like um, it allows us to have a super brain by having a, a room where uh, full of people that can all contribute to a thought. And then we all walk away with five brains worth of brain calculation. I don't know. It's what it feels like sometimes. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. Everybody okay. brings something to the table. All right. I will, I will not, uh, I mean, I, I could go, I could, uh, carry that thought much farther on. Well, feel free. Plane, but I'm not going to <laughs> ask a direct question about Anubis. Um, oh yeah. Maybe okay. the two are related. Um, you know, that, that is, that is a possibility. Um, I started working with Anubis. I'm thinking 20, 2010, 11 ish. Um, and what happens was I just started having dreams where I would see hieroglyphs. Um, I started seeing him, um, hieroglyphs, uh, paintings that, uh, for example, you would see on pictures, um, inside a tomb. Hmm. I started seeing all of that. And fairly early on, I saw the judgment hall in my dreams. Um, and then Anubis himself started coming to see me in my dreams. Um, I just had lots and lots and lots of Anubis dreams. What's that like? What does he look like in person? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I've visualized him a lot, but I can't say I've had a dream where he showed up and was standing in front of me. Um, he's very tall and he's got, uh, he does look like a jackal. He has the head of a jackal. Um, he has a collar, a collar that has multiple colors, um, blue, red, blue, red, green, bronze. Um, most of the time, his body is dark. He has a tunic. Sometimes it's bronze. Um, oh, God, there's been different, many different um, ways that he's presented himself to me. Does he speak in words or does he move his mouth when he, I mean? No, no, he does not. And I, I don't see his eyes very much. Once in a while, I will see his eyes in dreams. Most of the time I don't, um, which is interesting. When he starts um, speaking when he starts speaking, generally it's in a tongue that I can understand in my dreams, but he points to the hieroglyphs. Um, one dream I remember, he, uh, we were in some kind of a chamber, and there were embalming tools there, and there were hieroglyphs on the wall. There was not... Um, there wasn't a mummy or anything, but there was a hieroglyph on the wall. Mm -hmm. Um, another very interesting dream that I had, um, I was outside of an Egyptian temple and I was a woman. I was wearing dark blue. Um, and I was a priestess 
of Anubis and a physician. And I wasn't uh, able to tell anybody what I was doing because you just didn't do that. That was stuff that you... Right. Like it was we do today. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Um, and in another dream, I was in a white sarcophagus, an Anubis color, and not well. Yeah, Anubis um, shape, white sarcophagus, hmm. and I was being carried. Very cool. <laughs> well, yeah. um, I think that had something to do with what I might have been in a past life. Right. Um, and I've run across a few things in one of uh, Terence Duquesne's books about the jackal divinities of ancient Egypt. And I might have found what I was in there because there's a list of the priests and the temple people in there. Mm -hmm. And um, so that I, I've, I've delved quite deeply into Anubis um, and trying to, trying to pick up that thread Um but uh, he's taught me a lot about, um, I do a, a lot of cemetery work with Mark. Mm -hmm. And every cemetery that you do is different. Every cemetery that you enter is different in terms of the beings. Um, and he usually tells me if, if we're in a very old cemetery and some of the graves are not marked, he will tell me where to go so that I'm not stepping on a grave. Right. Um, there was a time that we were in a cemetery that was just full of um, the ground was shifting. It was very, very weird. Hmm. Yeah. It was one of those southern cemeteries where. There's a few in was, uh, uh, New Orleans that are pretty trippy. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <Marie trippy>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well actually, you know something? We have been in um we've been in that cemetery and too many uh, tourists. That it actually yes, because it was um I had wanted to introduce myself to Marie and spend just a bit of time and give her an offering and I wasn't able to do that. Um, because there's constant tourists Traffic. around, yeah, and it's it's too commercialized for my liking anyway. And Mark was a little bit peeved about that too, yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I've had dreams about her, so there are ways that if they know that you're interested and they want to get a hold of you, there's there's ways that they can get a hold of you. Um, but. Uh, Anyway, with Anubis, um, he has just kind of taught me and pointed me in the right direction. Um, Book-wise, 
I, like a lot of folks, started off reading Budge's material. Um, there were other materials that I was directed to go. And sometimes I didn't necessarily know that it was Anubis guiding me, but um, it had a feeling of him. It felt like him. Hmm. And I know that sounds rather unscientific. Um, well, I can, I can tell you, I, uh, I, when I was, um, oh, I guess I was 16, um, there was a point and it was, maybe we had joined the order by then we were taking Wicca classes and, you know, studying to be Wiccan priests, my mom and I, and, uh, mm -hmm. and we had joined the order and there was a point where I was falling asleep and right at that point where you're about to fall asleep or where you lose consciousness something i mm -hmm. i heard distinctly and felt in my in i i, I think it was my right ear but it, it was like i felt the the when someone you know when they whisper in your ear you feel the breath you feel the the air yes. blowing from their breath on your ear yeah. and i and someone whispered hermes and i can only assume it was hermes and so I immediately, you know, the next time we went down to Eye of the Cat in Long Beach, I got some Hermes oil and some Hermes incense, and I started focusing on Hermes. And, of course, we, be, both being practitioners of Golden Dawn, know the connection between Hermes and Anubis, uh, yes. you know, the various kind, levels of connection. So I've, I've always kind of had that going on in the background where, you know, working with Thoth, you know, was a very natural, you know, progression from that sort of, um, I guess it's, I guess, you know, it's, it's a different kind of when you have your, when you have a God, you know, when you have a pagan God, you know, um, it's like a loyalty that, that comes with it where it's like people can be talking about this God and that God, but kind of underneath I'm like self-identified with one of them in particular. So I, yeah, it's interesting when that happens. So I, I definitely can relate. Well, he has, um, sometimes I can hear him audibly. Um, other times it's a voice in my head and other times there aren't words. I I feel um, messages. Um, I sense things, and oddly, I smell things. <laughs> oh, that's not odd. Yeah, that's like a very. I get that too sometimes. But yeah, I can, especially working with Anubis memories. Sometimes that's the uh, the most direct way to point at something is with a smell. Yeah, a, a a smell or um, a related sense impression. Uh, because one thing that I've learned working with him um, is that there are, you know, we, we tend to think of things in five senses. Um, with him, he has shown me that, that the the lines the lines between those tend to get a bit gray and muddy. Um, and, the, you know, you have sight. You have sight with your eyes, and then you have sight uh, into the past. You have sight into the future. Um, you can Insight? Have sight. Yes, you can have sight down the street. Um, 
it's it's all it doesn't fall neatly into any kind of categories um and then you can have an awareness of sentience um like when he um this was actually rather hilarious in hindsight but it was a little disturbing when it first happened um when he taught me how to assume his God form, which I learned long before uh, I got into any magical orders. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, in my present order, they don't teach you how to do that until you're a 5-6. But mm. anyway, um, I already know how to do that because I was, uh, I was actually delivering newspapers sometime Oh, God, in 2011-ish, 2012 or something. And uh, that was a wonderful job that I needed to take because I couldn't find anything else. Uh, But you do what you got to do. And a big-sounding dog was barking at me and snarling from behind a fence. And I thought, well, this dog's going to just burst through that fence and he's going to have me for breakfast. And then I felt my body changing. I felt myself, I it was, there was like a twisting sensation and I grew ears Hmm. and my, I grew a snout. (laughs) The dog started barking, stopped completely shut up. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was my first experience with a God form. Um, and I was, you know, that, that kind of sets you back a few feet when that happens to you and you don't know what it is. Yeah. Um, and at first I thought, God, I didn't know I knew how to shape shift. <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay. I mean, when you, um, when you, when you get on this path and you start to uncover, um, magical abilities, you know, you don't, you develop a relationship with them. Um, but if you are unaware of certain things happening, it, it takes a bit of time to get used to that. Yeah. And I, you know, having something, discovering that you have a magical ability of some sort. Um, if you've had it happen to you, you know, you're not so surprised after a while, but this was a little bit beyond the pale and I didn't really know what it was. Um, I learned later what it was, but, um, and then other times he will communicate with me directly. Um, this past year, I uh, I had a Rottweiler that was my familiar back um, where I moved from, which was in the Midwest, in Indiana. And um, she was ill. She came down with liver cancer quite suddenly. Um, I had done some work with him. I had asked him to, uh, when her time came, to pass over if he would be there for her when she crossed and if he would see that she safely found her way to where she was going to go. And uh, 
my ex-husband had um, told me that he was going to take her and let her go for one last walk and let her have a last meal. Um, and then he was going to take her to the vet because by the time he found out that she had the cancer, um, it was too late. Yeah. Um, unfortunately. And we decided, um, we decided that the best thing to do for her would be to have her, have her euthanized rather than put her through chemo, which, you know, neither one of us had money for. I mean, you know, Mark would have helped, Mark would have helped with her vet bills, but, you know, Mark and I were newly together and I didn't know um, if it would have been okay to ask him for thousands of dollars with an uncertain outcome. Right. And um, I knew from other sources that it was too advanced. So anyway, to make a long story short, um, I was taking a nap in the afternoon um, I hadn't slept much the night before. All of this happened over like a day or so. And mm-hmm. I was taking a nap in the afternoon and I woke up with a start because someone said, Lori. Hmm. Like you would hear a voice in a room. Yeah. Well, Mark was at work. Nobody, it, it's kind of hard to get in this house without, you know, hearing if somebody's breaking in. <laughs> but anyway, And right when I was at that, um, you know, waking up point, I had a glimpse of a profile of Anubis kind of turned a little bit so I could see a few of his features, but he was holding my Rottweiler in his arms. Oh. And... Oh, I, I know. I mean, I I could, like, tear up about this. Well, no, that's very reassuring, though. Well, it was interesting because um, I knew I knew what had happened right then. I picked up my phone, and at that time, I had a message from my ex that um, she had been euthanized and she had died peacefully, and he was there with her. And it was right about that time. Mm. So, death is a hard um, thing. Well, you know what, though? Um, I was actually very comforted because I knew I had, I had, an you know, I, I worked with Anubis and I trusted Anubis and Anubis was there and he was there when she crossed. A lot of people don't know. They, they look at death as the enemy. Yeah. Um, I have died myself right for you it's kind of your old stomping grounds (laughs) Well, (laughs) this is kind of old hat for me i'd I'd want you as my carrick's though because you've really walked on those uh levels i'm also a nurse and i've been around many people that have died um I've actually seen people, um, you know, you, you, one uh, old school nurse taught me 
that if you can, if there is a window, open the window mm -hmm. so that the soul can fly, can get to the stars, which uh, if, if you're familiar at all with what uh, uh, happens to the Ba, the Ba will go out to the stars. The Egyptian pyramids are laid out like that right on the inside um and actually um temple priest initiations and training happen in the same manner in particular uh places relative to stars uh mirroring the stars there are well there's a um there is a um, there's a tunnel inside the pyramids, and it's not quite the same. There are some differences, um, but a lot of the priest initiation ceremonies do. Um, they have a lot of rather striking similarities to that. Father Yod said, aim for Sirius. Yes, yes, Sirius, um, which that is called the dog star, but that is also uh, connected to Isis. Yeah. And I'm, all, I'm not, yeah, I maybe you're a little more familiar with Isis. The star card as well. Yeah. Is oh, the star. Yeah. It is the star. Yeah. <laughs> yes, well. And which is the Aquarian age, too. Is that is tied to that star card? Unless you ask Crowley, he said Zadi's not the star. <laughs> no, that was actually his wife, though. He, the the really incoherent stuff in the Book of the Law was channeled by his wife at the time. Mm -hmm. He just wrote it down. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, interestingly, the star card, um, depending on who's interpreting it is connected to Isis, Nephthys, and Hathor. Yeah. Yeah, and I, okay, so you, you, you know a little bit of that um, history, and it is uh, Adam. Right, is, the new Adam. Uh, yes, the, the reconc the yeah, yeah, correct. As a the female. reconciliation, yeah, yeah. Um, so... Yes, I, I guess to get back to my original point, um, but I, I, am, I am deeper into Egyptology and Anubis than I could have ever imagined. Yeah. Um, and one of the interesting things in uh, a discussion of the Judgment Hall, we know that famous scene from the Papyrus of Annie. Mm -hmm. uh, and comparing that to the gray journeys. Right. And what I, what I have been able to discern from studying both the Book of the Dead, um, the books of the Amduat, and the books of the Amduat are the journey of Ra, okay, hmm. which is not um, the same thing as the Book of the Dead. Right. And... Um, each uh, the papyrus of Annie was the papyrus of 
Annie specifically. It isn't the Book of the Dead per se. There's a difference. And um, there are different papyruses and different um, depictions of that judgment hall. Um, they are unique to the, the person um, that the scribe drew them for. And even Which, the time and place and yes, what yeah. was going on at the time and who was popular and yeah. Yeah. Um, and what I have been able to discern is if you think about um, the neophyte and the elemental grades and the portal in the five six, if you look at the judgment hall, the judgment hall is the neophyte and the portal grades. Um, and actually the five, the beginning of the five, six and the elemental grades are the books of the Amduat in the underworld journey. Hmm. Very it's, interesting. It, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And one example that I can give you is, um, the lake of fire in practicus and the beginning of philosophus. Mm hmm. Um, if you look at it a little, if if you um, read up on it, I read a book called um, Ra's, The Sun God's Journey in the Netherworld, I think, by Andreas Schweitzer. And interestingly, he is a Jungian psychologist, mm -hmm. and uh, he used ample examples from the texts, from from the books. And what it is is, it's um, arranged into 12 hours for Ra's night journey. Hmm. And there are, one of the things that, that, that um, you know, kind of marks, I guess, if you will, for lack of a better word, uh, all of the initiations have, you know, you are barred. Okay, you're in a liminal area because you are supposed to pass and there is a guardian there and they are barring you until you have the requisite knowledge, which isn't necessarily spoken by you. Most right. of the time it's by the hegemon. Mm -hmm. um, or you, you have to tell them their name. In the texts of the Amduat, and in some other funerary texts, you have to um, talk about what the net is made out of, or you have to give the ferryman information. Right. You you have to you have to pull some type of esoteric knowledge out. Yeah. Um, but the challenges the challenges that you have in the underworld are strikingly similar to what you will have in your elemental grades. You know, in a way, that whole thing of being barred until you can enter, there's two things that come to mind, if you don't mind my jumping in here on this point. No, go for it. Is um, we, you know, we go through that every day, every time we show our ID to get a drink or, uh, you know, anything. Like um, just the very fact that we're dressed and we have our hair, you know, sorted and the bouncer or, you know, I mean, just like whatever, whoever 
at the bank is believing that we're who we say we are because we know our mother's maiden name. And, uh, you know, it's constant, it, it, you know, it, and then, of course, it has its roots in masonry and all that sort of – I mean, not that the ancient Egyptian thing has its roots in masonry. It's the other way around, obviously. But, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, uh, then the other thought was there's uh, – in, in yeah, if um, – I, I don't know if you heard the episode about the temple in Malkut. I think it was episode 35. Um, of the Esoteric Nerd podcast, and one of the ways that I use, and I also I still do it now for anyone who's listening who've wandered over here from the To Be a Yogi podcast. I still use it now in my yoga classes, where and I, I I'm not the only one where uh, where the beginning is all about letting go. So some teachers will say, okay, this week's theme is about gratitude, as opposed to last week it was about this other thing. For me, it's always about letting go at the beginning. And, um, and when I used to lead path working, it would start out the same way. And I would use the altar of burnt offerings as a device and you would basically release everything into the altar of burnt offerings. And then not just the things that hold you back, not just some symbolic thing or some sinful thing, but everything, like everything about your life as it is. And the idea being that you're not destroying your life as it is here in the world. You're allowing you to reorient yourself to, to a, a type of being that is not so dependent upon your keys and your wallet and your name and your car and your house to be a solid thing, to be a, a, a solid operating um, being. And then, and then once you get past that, then I, I have people get reborn in the, in the laver of brass. And then it's like, but since, since we're talking, you know, I mean, I don't say this, but I mean, basically the idea is that we're still going to be a human. We're still going to walk around and have arms and legs. And the, but now we're going to go into our temple in Malkut. But, and I try to, always go through that inner process when I'm before I enter in my temple in Malkut before like I don't want to soil my temple in Malkut by visualizing myself in it until I have died to my mundane nature not because of some misunderstanding about the oneness of everything but because of that very thing of you cannot pass to the next level until you either give something up or until you know the name of the guardian, or you know the knowledge of how how things operate on the other side. Like, for instance, if you're going to go into uh, a laser tag g game, you need to know that it what laser tag is, and you need to know that you're going to aim for this. You know, there's a lot of things that you need to know. So you need to have the esoteric knowledge of how that astral world operates that you're going to enter into, because the guardian is there to keep you safe, so that you don't go in there thinking it operates like this other level, and then end up, you know, permanently ceasing to exist as an individual or something. Well, one of the uh, one of the interesting things. Um, that comes to mind is, um, you know, it's not, initiation never ends. That is one uh, thing that I will thank Mr. Crowley for. And, you know, you, um, it isn't that you die in this, okay? This this is not well, transform is a better yes. word like the death card yes 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 transmutation absolutely um 
you become Osiris-like, okay, or you become immortal. <laughs> yeah, well, you awaken become, to the immortal yes. underneath. Yes, yes, yes. You you become immortal, and interestingly, with that, um, I think it is in the sixth hour. Ra unites with Osiris, hmm. the slain Osiris at midnight. Yes, exactly. That yes, Kephra yes, the yes. sun at night. Yes, Kephra the sun at night, and. Um, it isn't, you know, there's not a lot of difference when we sleep, when we sleep at night in bed or when our mind sleeps and we go through our life and we are unaware of what we truly are. Yeah. There's very little difference. There was very little difference to the ancient Egyptians. Um and they didn't have any hang-ups about including their magic as a component part of their religion and their life, as we do. <laughs> well, one way to look at it, I think, is, I mean, in a certain way, we could look at the physical body as being an ocean in which there are trillions of, you know, life forms, individual life forms that aren't don't even carry our DNA, going about their business within that ecosystem. So even if we're doing nothing, even if we're just slowly sinking into a couch watching Jerry Springer, we're still succeeding as being a meat preserver. Yes. Um, well, the body <laughs> is the temple. <clears throat> it's um, kind of bleak, but... <clears throat> yeah, I, I know, I know, you know. I know, I, I absolutely... There's, but there's better levels than that, but, I mean, at the very least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yes, the body is the temple for the soul um, in that state. You know, whether you're completely oriented out um, and you're totally into Jerry Springer, or if you're deep in meditation and you find that place where there is nothing or no thing, that doesn't mean that it's void or vacant. Right. Uh, yeah, I don't know why what you were just talking about oh, touched I don't... off in me. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're, you are obviously far more advanced at Eastern, um, Eastern hey. religion than I am. But I did enough of it. That was one good thing my former mentor had me doing early on mm -hmm. um, that I have reached that state. And it's I don't know whether it's um, it's not enlightenment because I haven't practiced. I haven't I know I haven't reached that level of practice, but I've had glimpses here and there. Um, and I'm that, fond I, of. I'm fond of Alan Watts's interpretation of the word nirvana. A lot of people interpret it as an enlightenment, but it, it literally means to blow out. And some sort of more religious types uh, would say it means to blow out the candle of ambition or blow out the flame of desire. But he says it's... <sighs> the breath. 
It's the sigh of relief when you let go, when you finally realize, oh, I don't need to run around in those circles, you know, that, that when you stop going around in the circle of samsara, then you go, you automatically blow out. Oh. So, I mean, you know, one level of enlightenment, another level of enlightenment, maybe there's someone glowing out there that when they touch everybody, they heal it because of the level of enlightenment they attained. And we could say that that's enlightenment and then the other levels aren't. But why? You know, I mean, I, I, I Madonna got... I, I was laughing at her when she said she was enlightened, but the context in which she said it, she was saying, well, I would say that I am enlightened to a certain degree. And she was like looking at the word enlightened and what it means. But at the time she was meditating a lot and stuff like that. So it made her seem kind of goofy on, on the surface. But um, yeah, I, 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 I think that it's okay to, to uh, you know, like I had an enlightenment yesterday. You know, it wasn't um, the great enlightenment, but it was, I came into present time and I kind of re- I I had a moment where I realized that all this time that I've been avoiding eating animal products it's been, I've been approaching it a certain way like okay can I do this will I continue to do this and approaching it as a discipline kind of thinking oh when I smell meat like okay I'm going to deprive myself of that and then just yesterday or the day before I started to reap the fruits of that and I realized, oh, right, I'm doing it out of love and compassion, uh, you know, for animals. And, and, and it was nice to come into the present moment with that realization. And, it, and I, I, I wouldn't say it was, you know, I became enlightened in that moment, you know, because that implies the great enlightenment if there is such a thing. But, uh, but it was a kind of enlightenment, I think, at the moment for me on my path, different from other actually, people's enlightenment. Yeah. Well, no, actually it is. Um... And I know that the word compassion has a much larger meaning in Eastern religion mm-hmm. than our understanding as Western. Yeah. Um, but I that that strikes a bell in me because it sounds like um, it sounds like a a a, a little enlightenment. Yeah. Well, a little death. Right. A little death um because the little death, death is initiation and and initiation is death. And that isn't death necessarily of the physical body. Um that is death of old ideas, death of old thought forms. Death of right. old thought forms and rebirth of new ones in a continuous cycle. Yeah. So I I mean if if um you believe that everything is a cycle and that's that's kind of how I choose to see it I guess because um of my orientation towards um Ra the sun god and Osiris um and being renewed every day. Well, and looking out the window, you can't help but think in terms of cycles. I mean, there's seasons and days, like you said, su- the Ra's, you know, sun going up and down, and and Osiris is the vegetation springing forth and then being cut down and then regrowing after winter. And yeah. Well, Osiris is the seed. Hmm. Osiris is the seed contained um, all along. Yes, and he is he's in the tomb because he's been slain, um, but yet he lives and he renews he renews himself, 
He renews life, and Ra renews himself. They renew themselves through each other. Yeah. Um, but in, in, our, um, in our present initiatory pathways, and I, I think this happens in some form, um, regardless of what path you happen to be on, um, you, you do, it's, it's, uh, rather like, um, a wheel and it's rather like the life cycle of things that we see. Um, but it isn't, it isn't just death. Uh, a, a lot of people I think, um, associate, uh, the judgment hall and that kind of thing with death the Egyptians believed in living well and preparing for death. They interacted with the deities in life. They developed a relationship with the deities in life. Um, and that relationship grew. You know, it, it grows, it changes, just like um, everything else. Yeah. In a, in, in a, in a cycle, um, because um and not uh there's a lot of a lot of different uh ideas about reincarnation and past lives um but if we think about what we do and what we know about the soul within um i i i believe in that highly yeah and I, I think um, doing the work with Anubis that I've done um, and seeing my own self go through my initiatory process, but also um, see what I have seen with my own death and coming back and seeing other people die. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, and that's not really... I, that's not something I discuss a whole lot of, even with magical people, because everybody's got different ways of looking at it. And um, Right. Yeah, people that, get very sensitive about it sometimes. Well, plus it's, um, it's also uh, what we would call the mysteries. Um, I'm presently reading something by Jan Asman, who is, uh, he's a, a professor of Egyptology and... Uh, has written a lot of, lot, lot, lot of really good things. If you ever get into the, get bitten by the Egyptology bug and you want to check him out, <laughs> mm-hmm. he's well worth the while. Um, he has written a book called Death and Salvation, and I'm I'm reading it right now, and this just brings to mind um, they're talking about the uh, the Egyptian uh, concept of death as mystery. Right. You know, you the mysteries with a capital M um, are a big thing in Western esotericism. Yeah. And that that is that is one thing, and and we have we have um, publications that talk about what happens, you know, in the netherworld and. Um, you know, what happens in the tomb. And 
the Egyptians took this to a whole nother level. If you um, ever get into, ever get the opportunity to read any of his work, he uses um, things from the Book of the Amduat, the Book of Gates, uh, the Coffin texts, the Pyramid texts, and the Book of the Dead. And they, they really took this to um, a new level, but... Um, even though it's it's very oriented towards um, what is happening in the other world or the nether world, um, if you read it, it's you you see glimpses of what you are doing in your initiatory process. It's fascinating. You know, it's very deep. Okay, it, mm-hmm. it definitely. Um, it's not a, a Harley Quinn mystery that you can sit down and read in one sitting. I mean, I, I've been reading this um, for probably better than a month. It's it's academic and it's pretty thick. Nice. Um, but it is well, it's well worth your while. Um, and one thing that he points out, um, the difference between man and uh, animals is that animals do not have an awareness of their mortality and man does. Right. Um, but in societies that are death-denying like ours, um, it, it, it really kind of uh, abbreviates how we live. Because yeah. we think death is the end, and death is not the end. Death is not, so not the end. Um, If any of my experiences mean anything, um, death is not the end. My beloved familiar has come around after she passed. Um, That's not the first animal that I've had that has come around after they've passed. Um, And people... um, and interestingly, we didn't find out that my dog had cancer until it was too late to do something about it. Mm-hmm. A few months before we actually found out about it, I had a dream about her. She was laying on the grass in front of my ex's house, and it was snowing, and she was motionless. She was laying on her back. And the um, the snow the snow was coming down on her, and there was a drop of red blood on her right upper quadrant of her abdomen, where her liver would be, and the hmm. snow landed on that, and it was freezing. Hmm. What is a tumor but consolidated abnormal cells? Yeah. So, you know, when I really thought about that, I thought, shit, I knew. <laughs> mm. Um yeah, but you know, I I I'm still uh there are still times that I question dreams and things like that. Um now I have had some that have been right on the money, but I think if you're a magician and you're honest about these kind of things, um, you still tend to question yourself and you still tend to 
put yourself through an evaluative process. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I, mean, yeah. I don't know. If you, I don't know if you see things in the future or not, or if you get visions um, or how you uh, have a sense of knowing. Hmm. I get mine through images and through flashes, waking and dreaming. Um, and I, I think um, anybody who is at least um, somewhat credible is going to be is going to deal with those things very carefully. Right. Um, I came down to Georgia to be with Mark in the latter part of 2014. And I brought a few things with me. And then the understanding was, was 30 days later, I was going to drive back up north and get the rest of my things. And uh, we were doing a tarot reading. And I looked at this tarot reading and all of a sudden I got a vision of the left front tire, I think it was, catching on fire. I was going down a hill and I lost control of the truck and the I rolled over and over and over and it just blew up in a ball of flames. Oh man. Yeah. I, I saw it. I saw it. I smelled something hot. I saw it. And I told Mark about it. Would you like to hear what the mechanic said when we took it in to get it checked? What's that? It was the exact side. It was the left front. Mm. The truck And that's what would have happened? Yes. Because wow. the, the, the brakes were stuck. And they I... were hot. And they will get red hot and they can catch on fire. Oh man. Yeah. And you can really uh yeah, you can really get fucked up. Um I had uh as the that reminds me of something where I had a dream that my handlebars came loose and I couldn't control which direction the front tire was pointed. And I was zooming down Michelinda, you know, with gravity because it's kind of downhill. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like falling over and I didn't know what to do. And so, of course, you know, I found myself in that exact scenario within a few days. And like I noticed, you know, because I was looking for it or I was feeling for it when the handlebars started to come loose and I started to slow down and then I started to, you know, when I tried to turn, it slid and I couldn't control the front tire. But by that time, I was going slowly enough that I was able to kind of like crash into the side and and not, you know, have get get some real injury. So, yeah, I mean, I think that definitely either. You know, they say that there's certain subatomic particles that are moving backwards in time. So it doesn't really surprise me all that much when uh, when something like that comes along. Like it's a, a foreshadowing of something that could very well be traumatic. But for the sake of survival, we're tapping in temporary, you know, to to an element that. But we, it's like we set we it, the reason we don't see the whole future is for practical purposes. We have to move along in present time, one. And two, I think that part of the whole game of life, if you will, is to not know, is to have these veils. To It's a great veil dance. It's a, we're, we, we know this and we f don't know this and we forget that and then this is revealed and then we die and the whole thing is revealed. <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, actually, yes. Um, you can also see in the past, I have, I have this thing where 
I can walk along and I can see um, like a, a empty booze bottle laying on the ground. Mm-hmm. I can see the person that threw it, mm. see them throw it down, and I can get a glimpse at, um, okay, this person's a bit downtrodden. They right. feel bad. They feel guilty. Um, and I, I get I, that actually happens a lot. So it's very possible to see in the past. Um, and I haven't done any, uh, I haven't been at this for the length of time that most of you all have. Um, so I've gotten just little. So you're still hopeful that you'll one day have those experiences? Uh, <laughs> just no, actually, I'm just being a cynical ass. I, I, I know. You know what? That's okay. I don't mind if you're a cynical ass. <laughs> I, can, I have a Scorpio rising. I can play it any way you want to. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> All right. Yay. Okay, I knew there was one more thing I liked about you. I try to be very rational, you know, but then... But then every once in a while, I get reminded of, oh, yeah, I did have that unexplicable, totally unexplainable metaphysical experience that was verified, you know, that can't really be rationally explained. But other than that, I'm rational, you know. Well, I mean, I, I, I do. I do to a certain extent. Um, but there is a larger, a much, much larger awareness out there where you can't explain it. And it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, like that tarot reading that I had the vision of the um, tire catching on fire. Right. You know, I, look, I looked at Mark and I told him what the vision was. And he said, well, I am not going to, you know, I'm going to take it seriously. We can take it and we can get it checked out. Yeah. And then when they told me what it was, it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, all right. And I told him about it and he said, you know, okay. And um so I couldn't explain how I knew that. I couldn't explain anything but the visions. Yeah. And I just told him, you know, I'm just this is very graphic and and I'm not comfortable with this. I was told a long time ago, context matters. Yeah. And if it is something, um, if it's something from uh, material that's been published, that's one thing. Um, if it's something that I have been told or I've um, experienced an initiation, right. then, you know, then I can use... I can use my discretion, um, but if it is something to do with membership and right. which temple I'm in, you and I both know yeah. where I'm at, but I'm not going to of course. actually say that. And I mean, that's good that I, I don't have to try and explain that to you. Oh, no, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't anyway, but um, if, if there's anything that defines me as a magician, um, it would be the value of persistence. Persistence and discipline and regular practice cannot be underestimated. Yeah, it's true. Um, I mean, just, just ask uh, my husband about that. But 
Um, and one of the things that another influence on me, a lot of people have one single author that um, or a few authors that are big influences on them. Probably mine would be uh, Eliaphas Levi and Transcendental Magic. Hmm. I don't know if you've had a chance to read that, if that's... I haven't. It Actually, you, you should. You should. Um, he is... Uh, and I don't know if... Uh, I don't know exactly which order he was in, but I do know that uh, he was a Rosicrucian. Yeah, Society Rosicruciana in Anglia. He was... Um... He was a member at the same time as Mathers. Mathers would have known him when, uh, when, when he was young and when uh, Eliphas Levy was old, if I'm not mistaken. But, mm-hmm. the, but they, they did overlap. Yeah. Um, his, there's a lot of really, really good things in that book. But um, one of the things that I liked the most about it is that he refers to the value of symbolism and how every religion has a slice, um, a little knowledge of a larger picture, of a much larger picture, and but not the whole picture. Not the whole picture. Um, and if you think about the concept of emanations, um, Emanations and all are one, and one are all. And he talks about the uh, when you get above or you get beyond the symbolism which defines religions, you have a much larger symbolism of archetypes. I, I found I was working at a used bookstore and I found a Jung book that was that belonged to Israel Regardi. It had his library plate in the front and his signature. Not only that, it had his little notes in the margins where he was he would underline, you know, a concept that Jung was talking about and then he'd write HGA or whatever in the corner, like like he's relating it all to Golden Dawn as he goes along. And uh so yeah, I, I ended up with that book, and I showed it to the guy who who ran the store, and I said, "Oh, I'd, I'd like to take this as part of my salary this week." And he looked at the front cover, and he looked at me, and he said, "I wasn't born yesterday, you know. This is going to cost you eighty dollars." <laughs> all, and I, I actually, I, actually, you you got off easy. I know. I gave it to Chick Cicero. You did. I did as a gift. It's in his library. It it and it's got a burn on it from uh, from the time we had a fire here in 1998 in the L.A. sanctuary. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. Um. You know, I might have occasion to see Chick fairly soon. I think if there's anything else that I think is important to um, practitioners, I guess, if you will, is don't keep yourself boxed in. Um, explore different ideas, meet different people, um, travel as widely as you can, and keep an open mind. Here, here.
yeah, I, I mean, there's, uh, there's a reason for that. Um, I have always liked traveling, but, um, meeting up with Mark, Mark is a traveler extraordinaire and we've been a lot of places. And one of the most, um, enlightening things that's really blossomed into something that I didn't even see coming was, um, I took to New Orleans mm-hmm. and, um, I, Mark and I met a couple people down there that, uh, own a hoodoo shop and they make their own oils and they make their own incenses and they've got all kinds of interesting curios in that shop and they are a part of the culture. I don't know if you've ever been there. If you have a chance to go, it's very worth I went to New Orleans, but the only store like that that I went to was uh, Marie Laveau's House of Voodoo. Uh, Starling Magical. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Starling Magical and uh, Claudia and Jan are the proprietors. Anyway, um, that has kind of opened my eyes to a lot of things. Um, And I also have another influence in Denise Alvarado. Um, so that led to me making a whole bunch of different oils and creating and doing things like that. Um, nice. Yeah, I, well, you know, everybody's got something that they um, are talented in. And in my uh, particular order, we have authors, we have artists, and I can't draw stick people, hardly. <laughs> okay, so I finally... Um, with making oils and things like that, I finally found, um, something that I can do and I've gotten good feedback right now. I'm just kind of doing it for friends and for temple members and, um, you know, just kind of sending it out and saying, well, what do you think of this? Did you work with it? You know, do you have any feedback for me? Um, I'm not selling them. Um, I don't intend on selling them, but I'm doing it more as a creativity um, outlet. Sounds more good. Than anything. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I would say keep an open mind, learn different languages, read the classics, read weird stuff, <laughs> travel, get to know folks from different walks of life and don't miss it. You know, get, live every moment as if it was your last. Well, thank you for joining us on the Esoteric Nerd podcast tonight. Well, thank you for asking me. I mean, I think it's absolutely wonderful. I've been looking forward to doing this and, um, I, I didn't have a long, uh, storied pedigree, um, that's okay we've had some beginners on here and people who just kind of wanted to be on you know be part of it no just because they wanted to be an esoteriner yeah exactly (laughs) i i can definitely appreciate this well thank you very much and uh tell janie that i said hello and uh, yes have have a great rest of the day all right and my best to mark okay i will tell him all righty okay bye-bye bye-bye
So I'll give you a simple shortcut back down into Malkut from your temple in Yesod, and then an even simpler one. First, the simple one. Turn and face west, and see there one single door above it in the path of Tov. And we're going to approach it, open it up, vibrating Adonai hearts. Let's go ahead and project through with the sign of the Emperor. Turn around, close the door behind us, and turn around and... Oh, it's an escalator, but it's an indigo escalator. That's weird. Okay, well, let's step out onto it. And Cool. And it's like one of those like habit trail terrarium things, if you've ever had a hamster or been to the Charles de Gaulle airport in Paris. It's kind of like that. Looking outside the uh, little tube at outer space, quasars, pulsars, galaxies. And we've arrived at the bottom. And go ahead and open the door, and you're back in Malkut. You're welcome. The other way would have been simply to approach the central altar in your temple in Yesod, close your eyes, vibrate Adonai Haaretz, and open your eyes, finding yourself at your central altar in your temple in Malkut. Thank you all for playing. Thank you all for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Namaste. Good night.